We've certainly all heard them. Some of us continually carry them with us, always ready to recount them when the occasion calls and there is an ear that will oblige or when our narrative might need to be voiced in an act of one-upmanship. See, whether it happened on Meredith or the Mediterranean, it seems everybody has a big fish story. Isn't it true that as time ticks on, the taller the tail grows? We all have that uncle, that buddy, that coworker that is always willing to share their wondrous wildlife adventures in a moment's notice. It was about 2 a.m. happened on my first cast. I was running a 100-pound line with a treble-hooked rattleshad. When I got a hold of it, or should I say it got a hold of me, I wrestled with the beast with, for what must have been four or 40 minutes, who could be sure when you're in the throes of such a vile monster? When we took three of us, pulled the creature in, it had teeth, fangs, really. It was about yay big or so. We didn't have a scale with us, but I'd suppose around 50, 60 pounds. Wait, Uncle Larry, didn't you say it was a lake trout? Well, it's hard to identify when you're smack dab in the middle of a summer squall, angry seas, white capping waves crashing on you. Well, when you told us this last Christmas, you were on the bank of a pond. Well, that part ain't important. I'd show you the picture, but it'd scare you to death. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know how you view the book of Jonah, but let me assure you, it's not just another big fish story. Some have dismissed it as such, just a fun, fanciful fable fashioned for flannel graphs and kids' curriculum. Some see it as a parable that has a nice, virtuous component to it, but they say we certainly can't see it beyond that. However, there's some real trouble with those positions. See, the, the characters are too tactile. It's way too long and detailed. And most of all, Jonah is a real historical figure. The united monarch of Israel and the exile serve as bookmarks of a real prophet of God that prophesied during the divided kingdom in the time of Jeroboam II. He's referenced in the Old Testament. He's referenced in the New Testament. 2 Kings 14 speaks about Jonah. Matthew 12 and Luke 11 mention Jonah. Some fellow by the name of Jesus brings him up. So you'll have to excuse me. While some modern scholars may dismiss Jonah as just a myth with a moral story, I'll take my chances inside with the Savior of the world, the Son of God. Thank you very much. It's a beautiful story. Charles Reed, the English literary critic and author, he writes, Jonah is the most beautiful story ever written in so small a compass. Jonah is a literary gem. But even still, it's more. It's more than a story about a big storm, a big fish, 
and a big city. It's the story of our big God. Jonah is God's inspired word and God has used it to speak to people throughout the centuries and he wants to use it tonight to speak to you. God's word and God's spirit have the power to shape your heart, to transform the trajectory of your life. Would you give his word your full attention tonight? Would you open your mind? Would you open your heart and say, God, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to do, speak to me. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Will you look there with me? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship where he was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down and to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord." You know, the most obvious theme in this first chapter of Jonah is that Jonah is disobedient. There's a clear command here to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Arise, go up to Nineveh. No need to read through the lines. Not a lot of gray area in that statement. It's not ambiguous or vague in the least. God gives a clear command. Go cry against that wicked city. Go tell them they're in trouble with me. But what does the text tell us? But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. I don't remember a second option, do you? Here's the big picture that should set the stage for this section of the narrative. And what I want to present before you that you would have continually in the back of your mind as we study this first chapter. When confronted with God's word, we have a choice to make. Rise up or run away. When confronted with the word of the Lord, we have a choice to make. Rise up or run away. Have you ever heard of the parenting book, Parenting with Love and Logic? Well, it's a book about helping rear your children, about helping guide them. And and the whole premise behind it is you give your children options. And so they still have a sense of independence and you can help guide them. And my wife, as we were early parents, gave me this book to look over and We still use some of it today. Uh, The premise is, uh, would you like to do your homework or would you like to clean up your room? The trouble is, I was about 10 years in before I realized my wife was marriaging with love and logic. (laughs) Honey, 
sweetie, would you like to paint our room today or would you like to mow the lawn? Well, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do what I want, I wanna mow the lawn. (laughs) Somehow I ended up doing that. Here we are years later and I'll be halfway through a swept garage and be, again. This is not what's happening here. God hasn't been calling prophets with love and logic. There's one choice that I'm giving you. There's one thing I want you to do. Well, if you'd rather, if you've got a headache, if you just can't even today, try Tarshish. They're kind of wicked too. There's no door to. No, I'll pass on this one, Bob. Let's see the next showcase. No, there's one option. There's a clear command. Arise, Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Preach against it. This is my calling for you. It's interesting how the anonymous author informs reader, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of God. We know right off the bat this is going to go poorly. This is going to go bad. He's fleeing the presence of God. He's fleeing from God's plan to do his own thing. I remember hearing this as a child going, why is he doing this? It was so perplexing that it was so clear. And yet Jonah goes the other way. Why would Jonah run from God? God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I'll go to Tarshish. God says, go up. Jonah goes down. God says, go east, but Jonah goes west. What was he thinking? I think if we consider some background of this city that he's been called to, it might help us a bit. The Bible and this portion of Jonah doesn't say much about the wickedness of Jonah, but it, but it does in Nahum. And historians aren't kind to the city of Nineveh or of their military quest, even in their own writing. They boast of being such a wicked and vile people. It would eventually become the capital of Assyria. They were so feared. One source I read said whole cities would commit suicide so they wouldn't have to face the Ninevites, so they wouldn't have to deal with the Assyrians. Their own writings testify against them of how wicked they were when they would conquer a city and they would torture people. They would skin them and hang the skins on their wall. They would stack their heads in pyramids. One story, a leader from Nineveh boasts about putting a rope through the chin of a captive. Uh, someone that he had captured and taking them around like a dog and putting them in a cage. They would bury people to the neck up and hammer a spike through their tongue and would torture them. They would hold them down and make them listen to their family's political persuasions until, no, I'm just kidding about that part. In all seriousness, they were a vile, vile, wicked people. No one was excluded from their torturous ways. 
women, children, unspeakable abuse. So when God calls Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Keep that in mind. See, what if you'd been called to such a people, a place so vile? What if you knew of the people that had been tortured, murdered, that had been experiencing revolting atrocities by the hand of these wicked people? Would you want these foul Ninevites to hear a warning from a forgiving God or would you want to see God's wrath poured out with abandon? And Jonah knew God. He knew that the Lord was willing to relinquish if people repented. Furthermore, I don't know if you've noticed, but Yahweh wasn't asking any other prophets to go do mission work to pagan, heathen people. This was an atypical call for an Old Testament prophet. You want me to do what? To who? After what they've done? No. No. Jonah tells God, no. You want to know if you're in rebellion to a righteous, holy, all-powerful God? Tell him no. See, there's a a few lessons that I want us to learn from the, the life of Jonah tonight. And the first one is this. God's way is always the right way. God's way is always the right way. Whatever the reason was, Jonah runs from God. He ran away from God, his plan, his presence. And we do the same when we run from him. His word, his call on our lives, we too live in rebellion. Aren't we continually looking for that plane with an empty seat headed away from the hard things God calls us to do? Can't we convince ourselves that maybe that's not what he meant? Maybe he's changed his mind that with our current culture, he'd say it differently, softer, more palatable, that if he'd known how unique our personal situation is, well, he'd let us off the hook. We can convince ourselves it would that that getaway car that's gassed up is maybe his way of escape. But God's will always agrees with God's word. See, listen, there's always a boat you can board that seems to be leaving the burden of God's call behind. A ship ready to sail you away from the burden of God's call. Uh, Listen. Come closer. Let me let you in on a travel secret. It doesn't matter the time of year. There's always cheap tickets to Tarshish. A cheap ticket away from the captivity of God's call. Obedience to his word that promises faux freedom. But don't you dare buy it. That's just what Jonah does. And it's a ticket to trouble. 
Lesson one from the life of Jonah, God's way. God's way is always the right way. Look at verse four with me. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, how is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. First lesson we need to learn God's way is always the right way. The second is sin is always a sinking ship. Sin is always a sinking ship. Have you picked up on the progression in Jonah? It's already happening. Jonah goes down to Joppa, down to the hold of the ship. He lays down to go to sleep. Soon he'll be tossed down into the ocean and then, spoiler, down into the, the belly of a great fish. How are you sleeping, the captain asks Jonah when he finds him in the bottom of that boat. Well, it turns out running from God seems easier at first, but the truth is it's exhausting. Running from God appears less taxing. After all, it's a downhill run all the way. But its destination, hear me, its finish line is death and destruction. Jonah is on the way down because sin is always a sinking ship. And you can work by bailing water. You can try to lighten the load. But make no mistake, the boat's going down. Sin can be sneaky, though, can't it? We don't always realize we're taking on water until we're close to, to capsizing. Have you ever snorkeled before? Anybody in here scuba dived? I like to snorkel. There were some things I want to make sure that I mentioned to you uh, and that I wanted you to have fresh in your mind. And one of them is for you to picture me in snorkeling gear with goggles and flippers and check that off the list. When you're snorkeling, one thing I've noticed is you get all your equipment, you get it ready, you put on the goggles, you get the snorkel, you get your flippers, and you swim out a ways, and at first, you start in the, the shallow water. I think back to a vacation that my wife and I went on, I would see her there sitting reading on the shore, and then I would stick my head back down in the water, and I would look at all the fish all the wildlife that lives below. And I would get lost in it. And for too long, time would really pass on and I would lose track of time. And even what I was doing, I was so focused in on what I was doing. And every once in a while, I would poke my head up and every time, I was amazed so far from where I started, so far from where I begin, even so at times where it was alarming that I had gotten so far from shore. 
And the current would just slowly but surely pull you away. Sin works that way. It takes us little by little out into the depths until we're miles from the solid ground of God's plan for us. Sin is always a sinking ship. Think about it. Addiction that seizes someone. It didn't start with a a full-fledged free-for-all. It started with a seemingly small decision. Infidelity doesn't start with the act of adultery. It starts with a small shift in a once stable boundary. Unbridled bitterness that controls our thoughts, directs our days, didn't begin that bad. Initially, it was somewhat benign, but we let it build. The burning anger that can no longer be hid was once but a spark, but now is a furious fire that we've fed for years. See, sin doesn't start when the ship stinks. It starts when we decide to board the boat. Let's read on. Verse 7. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. But do you? God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know, now listen to this. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Maybe this is the most sobering truth of the sinking ship of sin. We're taking people down with us. I'll never forget it. I was a youth minister at the time. We were at a church camp in North Carolina. Still to this day, has to be one of the most beautiful camps, but maybe one of the most beautiful places that I've ever been to. One of the activities for the leaders, the counselors, was to go on this guided hike with lifeguards to this incredible waterfall. Now, don't think a panhandle waterfall. I'm talking big time, huge deafening waterfall. Part of the fun of the week for counselors was to to get to swim in this waterfall if you liked, to to enjoy the beauty of it. Still to this day, I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like it. And being in the spirit of the fun, I jump in and I enjoy it. But it was shocking 
the current that came from the waterfall. How intense and how powerful it was before too long. There was a lady near me who was swimming with her husband and she started to shout out for help. Somebody help me. And then would go down and, and gurgle. Her husband was nearby and he was trying to help her, but he was fighting the current. And before too long, they both started to go down. And she was grasping at whatever she could and she was pulling him down with her. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the sounds or the look in their faces. Thankfully, there were lifeguards there, and eventually they got to them and and saved them. But make no mistake, we are not alone in our sin. We are not in the boat alone. And our sin, it affects the people in our lives, the people who are close to us, the people who are in the boat with us. Your sin brings them down too. My sin brings those who are in the boat with me down as well. Sin is always a sinking ship and there's always other souls aboard. Lesson one from the life of Jonah. God's way is always the right way. Lesson two, sin is always a sinking ship. And a third from this chapter, storms can steer us in the right direction. Even storms can steer us in the right direction. Let's read on in verse 13. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. And they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Look at what the Lord has done through a reluctant prophet. Pagan sailors crying out to the Lord, what can he do through a surrendered prophet? This storm was not an accident. It wasn't just mother nature. No, it was miraculous. It's the first of several supernatural occurrences in Jonah's story. The storm came from God. He hurled it Jonah's way. Hebrews tells us who the Lord loves He chastens. Who the Lord loves, he disciplines. He punishes. That's why as believers, you and I can't sin and win. See, storms can steer us in the right direction. You think of the story of the prodigal son. The the young man who had squandered his inheritance in the midst of the worst time in his life. He'd lost everything. He was at the bottom. He was in the middle of the storm when 
it steers him back to his father. It wasn't those terrible circumstances. It was the, the goodness of his father. Storms can steer us back in the right direction. Not every trial, not every ailment in our life is sent from God, but make no mistake, some of the storms he sends. The details of our story may differ some, but it's often the rain, the storms that steer us back to God and his plan for our lives. It's the the rain that reorients us to the right way. There's this transition early here in chapter one in verse four when he says, it says, the Lord hurled the storm. The Lord brings the storm. Your version may say it this way, however, the Lord brings a storm. Most often it's translated, but the Lord hurled the wind. See, Jonah runs, but God runs after him. God pursues him, but the Lord steps into his story again. He he could have just let him go, but the Lord wants to use Jonah. He's got big plans for him in this big city, and that storm says, I'm not done with you, Jonah, and he's not done with you either. Aren't you glad that when we've turned away, when we've ran in the opposite direction, he steps into our stories? And for many of us, our story reads, there were years when we went away from God, but the Lord. I turned my back on him. I ran from him, but the Lord. I failed him over and over and over. Our very salvation story is a but the Lord moment because the the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where would we be if he hadn't stepped into our story, if he still didn't step into our story? Where would we be if it were not for but the Lord? It's often the rain that reorients us in the right direction. And the Lord's gonna use this storm. The Lord's gonna use this moment to bring Jonah back to the calling he has for his life. See, Jonah shows us God's way is always the right way. Sin is always a sinking ship and storms can steer us back in the right direction. See, we too, like Jonah, when confronted with God's word, we have a choice to make, to rise up or to run away. Jonah's disobedience is a warning to us, don't 
run. But listen, there are countless heroes of the faith that claimed their calling and rise up. Think about David, that shepherd boy, when others were running away from the danger, from that giant. He says, who is this Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? What about a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when everyone else would bow the knee? They rise up and they stand. When we look at Jonah's story, we see God say, rise up and go to Nineveh. But Jonah says no, and he runs away to Tarshish. I wonder as you look at your life tonight, which way are you going? Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power that it has. God, thank you for the story of Jonah. God, there's lessons that we can learn from his life, but as we look at this overarching idea of his call, his call from you, God, we see he has this choice to to rise up or to run away. God, help us to rise up. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.